Good morning. How are you guys doing? So my name is Josh Workman. For those of you that might not know me, um, my beautiful wife was up here on stage playing guitar, not violin, so don't get the two mixed up. Um, right now, I am a seminary student. I'm getting my master's in theology at Denver Seminary. Um, I work full-time at an off-road shop. So I fabricate, I build Jeeps. If any of you guys have any big Jeeps that need to be built, you can come to me for any advice. Um, but one thing I want to acknowledge before I even start um, is that there might be either people who are not Christians in this crowd or people who might be watching the sermon online that might not be Christians. And the first thing that I want to acknowledge is what I'm about to say does not apply to you. But I encourage you to take in as much as you are willing to take in. And for those of you who are Christians, this is going to be a convicting message. It was convicting for me as I was preparing for it. I'm living life just as you guys are living life. I make mistakes, I sin, I mess up, so I am at your level. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that before we even dive in, is that this, this sermon is just as convicting for me as it might be for you. Now, previously, uh, me and my wife, we went to Iceland. Uh, how many of you guys have ever been to Iceland? Anyone? One, one person. So Iceland is a, a, a beautiful place. Uh, me and my wife had the privilege to be there for about nine days. We drove around the entire island. Uh, we drove a total of 1,600 miles. That is a lot of driving. It is a ton of driving. Even when everywhere you look, there is something beautiful to see. You're like, man, I just want to get out of this car. There's tons of places to stop. There's tons of places to hike. And before this trip, Will asked me if I would speak this Sunday. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's cool. I'll speak. I have no idea what I want to speak on. And that's probably one of the hardest things for me to ever decide when I am asked to preach is what do I preach on? I don't want to preach something that I'm deciding on my own just because I like a verse or I don't like a verse. I want to preach on something that I feel like God is calling me to preach on. So during this trip, I took the goal of deciding what passage of scripture I should talk about while driving 1,600 miles. It's a perfect time to think. It's a perfect time to reflect. So as we were in Iceland, I kept on reading through Philippians chapters 3 and chapters 4 and could not put my finger on a specific verse. In chapters 3 and chapters 4, there's a lot of good verses, there's a lot of good passages. One of my favorites, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's a really good one. That's one that's extremely tempting to be like, yeah, I'm going to talk about that. That's a great sermon. Everyone's going to be encouraged. Everyone will like it. 
but something that, there, there's just something that didn't sit well within me. So me, a good husband, I asked my wife and get her advice. I'm like, hey, babe, what do you think I should talk about this coming Sunday? And the thing that she said is she said, you should talk about the verse where it talks about how everything you've gained in this life is lost because of knowing Christ. And that did not sit very well with me. And I didn't know why it sat very well with me. And the thing that I concluded is the reason why it didn't sit well is I can't talk about what it looks like to consider everything a loss until I actually know and can comprehend what it looks like to know Christ. And so I, I pushed that passage off to the side. I'm like, no, babe, I don't want to talk about that. I told her several times, I'm going to ignore it. So I kept on trying to figure out what passage I should speak on over and over and over. And more and more and more, I felt convicted. And one of the things that I realized is how tempting it is for me to skip over a passage of Scripture because I don't like it. How easy it is for us as Christians to skip over a passage of Scripture because we are doing a bad job of living it out. Or how tempting it is to skip over a passage of Scripture just because we might not understand it or we don't want to put the power and time into understanding a passage of Scripture. And so after I realized this, I'm like, man, I, I have to talk about this. This is the verse that I'm going to be talking about. Because in our life as Christians, everything that we gain, everything that we've done in this life, we should consider lost because of knowing who Christ is. So the passage that we're going to look at is Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11. And I think it might be on screen. If it's not, then I'll give you a chance to look in your Bibles. Um, but Paul wrote this. Um, we've talked about the book of Philippians, how Paul wrote it through the context of suffering and joy in the context of suffering. And so in verse 7, Paul says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more... I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrections in participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Wow. That is deep. That is not a passage of scripture that a lot of people like to read, and even more so like to hear a devotional or a sermon spoken on. And as I was in Iceland, I kept on reading over this passage over and over and over after I finally decided to preach on it. And all I kept on thinking to myself is, do I really believe this? Do I live this out? Someone who is a pastor, someone who is an ordained pastor in a specific denomination, someone who is going to seminary, getting a degree in theology, someone who is leading people, am I a pastor? Do I believe what Paul said in this passage of Scripture? Do I really believe that literally whatever I have gained in this life, everything that I have done, everything that I do well, is a loss compared to knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord? I, 
I didn't know. I, I, I couldn't answer that. I could honestly not answer that question. Or when we look at Philippians 1, verse 21, and Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, oh my gosh. Like, that's some deep stuff. Like, can, can you imagine that? That to live is Christ and, you know, li living Christ, but to die, you gain even more. And I did not know if I believed that. Because honestly, every single day is a struggle for myself in prioritizing God over everything else in this world. It is a daily, daily struggle. And, and maybe it is a struggle for you. What, what felt uncomfortable as we were reading that passage of Scripture? What just kind of like grabbed you and just kind of like held you on the edge of your seat and you're like, I don't know how I feel about this. You know, one of the things that I struggle with all the time is material possessions. I love the latest and greatest. If it were not for my wife, I would have the iPhone 10 when it comes out. I would have a new Tesla. I would have the newest things. And we would also have a ton of debt. So thank the Lord that my wife is there. But one of the things that I've realized after knowing myself enough is that every single time I get something new, there is this feeling that dwells up in me where I feel satisfied. There's a feeling of like, oh man, I have this to look forward to. But just as easy, that thing can be taken away. And when that thing gets taken away, then I go into a slump. But that, that's how my rhythm is. That, that is one of the things that, are, that is always trying to war inside of me to take priority over Christ. And one of the things that we'll see through this passage, we're going to be talking a lot about false hope and false positives. That, that, that's going to be our topic. And false hope are things that we put our hope in that can be taken away in an instant. Some of you put your hope in a job. For those of you that put your hope in a job, it can be taken away on Monday when you get to work. And if you have your hope in that job, your world is going to fall apart. For some of you, you put your hope in your family or you put your hope in kids. You put your hope in this and you put your hope in that. And in an instant, that thing can be taken away. And when that thing is taken away, you are left in the dump. And so what we're going to be talking about, the main point of this entire sermon, is that false positives, our false hope can lead to false positives throughout our life, but true hope can lead to unarguable fulfillment. That is one of the main things that I just want you guys to just sink in, is that false hope will lead to false positives throughout your life, but true hope will lead to unarguable fulfillment. So let's look at verse 7. In verse 7, Paul starts off by talking about how everything that whatever gains he has, he has ever had, he considers a loss for Christ, for the sake of Christ. Now, in, in my view, I can read that one very verse and be like, man, that was pretty clear. I can understand exactly what Paul's saying. Everything that he gains is considered a loss for the sake of Christ. You know, that's pretty clear. You can't really argue that. But then Paul goes into the next verse, and he's like, hey, by the way, I'm going to dive in a little bit deeper for those of you who just kind of want to argue that first verse. I'm going to back it up. And then he says, whatever gains that he has had in this life are worth it 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing who Jesus Christ, his Savior, is. He essentially just repeats himself over and over, trying to get this point across that no matter what he has gained in this life, he considers it a loss because of knowing Christ. And if you think about Paul, Paul has done some amazing things. I mean, a huge part of the New Testament was written by him. I mean, that would be huge, the most popular book in history. He's planted several churches. He's brought thousands and thousands of people to Christ. And even in all of that, he considers all of that a loss, not even worth it because of knowing Christ as his Savior. And then there's a little bit of a spin put onto it, if you, if you know the context of Philippians. I mean, the context of Philippians is joy in the midst of suffering. So Paul, he's not having this like really peachy, good-go life. He's not like sitting back in a chair, drinking tea with a coffee, watching a football game. Paul is in prison for a good chunk of his life. He's being persecuted, and he's eventually going to be killed. And even through that, Paul still says that knowing Christ is worth everything. And when we look at that that passage, we can comprehend it. Verses 7 through 11, we can read that and we're like, yeah, we know exactly what those words say. You're not reading Greek, you're not reading Hebrew, it's pretty clear. But the question is, why is it so hard to live it out? You know, some of you, while we were reading that, you were probably thinking, man, you know, it's so much easier to read what we just wrote or read what was just on the screen, but why is it so hard to live this out? You probably had those questions. I know I did. What are we doing wrong? Why is it so hard to fulfill what Paul is even talking about? And surprisingly, I feel like I have a good answer to this question. And the answer to this question is that we have misplaced hope. We put our hope in the wrong places. And one of the examples that that just speaks volumes for myself uh, is when I was working as a young adult pastor at the last church that I was pastoring at. I pastored there for about five years. Um, Loved it. And one of the hardest things I've ever had to do was resign from that job. It was one of the most difficult decisions. Not only was it difficult, but I did not have a job lined up. So it increases the difficultness tenfold to quit a job without having another job lined up. So I resigned from this job as being a pastor and started applying. I applied to a couple other churches with no response. The denomination that I was a part of, they weren't hiring the specific region that I had to be working in, so they didn't get anything from them. And all of a sudden, I felt my identity fall apart. And one of the things that I realized is I was putting my hope as a pastor, my hope as an individual, and the title that I had at my church, the title of being a pastor in a specific church and getting paid for it. And here I am, I'm an ordained pastor, not working at a church, working at a job just like everyone else, and my identity is just being questioned. And one of the things that God spoke to me through this time is, he said, hey, Josh, you're putting your hope in something that can be taken away. That is how I define myself. I define myself by my job at my church. And one of the things that I realized is that if I had really put my hope 
in Christ that no matter what would have happened, no matter what I would have gained, no matter what I have, no matter what I would have lost, it would all have been worth it because of knowing Christ. Now, one of the interesting things is uh, Google. I love Google. I'm sure a lot of you like Google as well. One of the things that I wanted to try and do is try and get a grip on what culture might be talking about in regards to hope. So I Googled hope just to see what people might be talking about. And I found this article, and this article was really interesting. And in this article, the author was arguing, arguing for why hope is a bad thing. So I'm going to spout, spout off a couple of the quotes. Just take in what they have to say and see if this like, kind of applies to you. So the first thing that this author says is they say, think about it. Isn't hope one of the most stressful things bestowed upon you? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you think about it, hope can be one of the most stressful things bestowed upon you. They go on and say, hope isn't evil, and hopelessness is a blessing in disguise. Yeah, you know, I can see that. Another one, hope is an attachment to a future that's already perfect. Hope is an attachment to a future that's already perfect. And then the last one, wouldn't you rather be surprised that something fantastic happened than be let down every time it doesn't happen? And you know, if I was in their place, if I was in their spot, I would totally agree with them. I would agree that hope is just a pain in the rear end. I would not want to have hope. But because I am a Christian, because I know Christ, there is a reason to hope. There is a reason. We can put everything, we can put all of our chips into something and not be afraid that that something is going to go away. And that's what this author is afraid of. They're afraid of their hopes being dashed and just getting back into the dumps over and over and over again like a roller coaster. So the question is, what are you misplacing your hope in? Are you misplacing your hope in your family? Are you misplacing your hope in your spouse? Are you misplacing your hope in your kids? Are you misplacing your hope in a boyfriend or girlfriend? Are you misplacing your hope in a job? Are you misplacing your hope in education? Are you misplacing your hope in retirement? But one of the things that we all struggle with is we misplace our hope all the time. And that's what one of the things that we're going to continue to kind of hit on is that false hope will continually, continually lead to false positives in life, but true hope will lead to an arguable fulfillment. Now, my wife, as beautiful as she is, she went through several, several years of schooling. Uh, she graduated from Point Loma Nazarene University with her bachelor degree and then decided that she wanted to get her doctorate degree um, to go into physical therapy. Now, one of the things as she was applying to schools is she had top schools that she wanted to go to, you know, really renowned schools that had great programs that she really wanted to get into. She applied to a total of, I think, right around 12 different schools. She only got accepted by one, and two of them she got waitlisted on. And the one that she got accepted by was her very last choice. And what she experienced during that time is that she had put her identity, she had put her hope in all these top schools that she really wanted to get in. And 
ones that would define her career. So when school after school after school after school kept on denying her, she realized that she had put her hope in something that was temporary. And thankfully, she got accepted by the last school that was on our list. And now she is a director of a physical therapy clinic. But that's just another example of what it looks like when we place our hope in something that's temporary. The question is, is what is true hope? You know, it's easy to talk about it. It's easy to talk about true hope. It's easy to talk about knowing Christ. But what does that actually look like? And Paul answers that in the next couple of verses. He keeps on going in verse 8, and he says, whatever he thought were gains in his life, whatever he thought were accomplishments, whatever he thought he could boast in, whatever he thought were gains, were actually garbage compared to having a relationship with Christ. Garbage. I mean, literally, he's saying that about good things that happened to him. Like, people that he saved, people he's witnessed to, churches that he's planted. He's literally saying all of these things that he's done in his life are garbage compared to what it is like to actually know who Christ is. That just boggles my mind. I mean, if you think about your careers, if you think about your family, if you think about everything you have done right in this life, could you say that it's all garbage compared to Christ? I mean, that's tough. That is tough. I, I just can't comprehend it. And then Paul goes on further, and he talks about how his purpose is to be found in Christ, and that his righteousness is not of his own, but it is a gift from God because of his faith in Christ. To be found in Christ. That's where his identity is. His identity is to be found in Christ. Out of everything else in his life, Christ is the only thing for him. And one of the crazy things is, when we think about these temporary things we put our hope in, they're temporary. And we put so much blood, sweat, tears, time, strength into getting these temporary things that give us this temporary feeling of hope. We try so hard, so, so, so hard to get these temporary things that will eventually fade. And Christ is like, hey, I'm here. There's nothing you have to try to get. There's nothing that you have to work for. There's nothing that you have to do. I am right here. And that's what Paul's talking about in this section of the verse. He's talking about how much we try to earn whatever we are trying to identify with. And he goes on and he talks about how one of the big temptations back in that time was to earn righteousness. Righteousness, a.k.a. grace. So when we look at the Jewish people, when we look at God's chosen people, one of the things that they loved, one of the most important things in their life was the law. They tried to earn their righteousness through the law, through doing good things, by following specific rules, and they thought if they did this specific thing, that they would be rewarded with salvation, that they would finally be seen as God's chosen people. And one of the things that we see is that they put their hope in something that was temporary. Jesus came and completely destroyed Jewish people's train of thought. He's like, hey, guys, you've been putting so much effort, you've been putting so much time into this very thing that won't save you. But I'm here. And one of the things that we can see from this is 
that the Jewish people thought it was something that was good. They had good intentions behind the law. They thought like, man, this thing is good in and of itself, so I'm going to put my hope in it. I'm going to put my identity in it. And that is what is going to define me. So when you think about your life, we can still put our hope in good things and think that they're good things when they're still essentially worthless compared to knowing Christ. And then you look at Paul throughout the letter. He keeps on talking about gaining, losing, gaining, losing. And what, what does it look like to be found in Christ? In this last section of Scripture, if you keep on going, Paul says that one of his main goals is to know Christ, to be like Christ. So this knowing isn't just to like know of someone. So like, I know who LeBron James is. I know who Stephen Curry is. I know who Obama is. Like his know is like actually know at a depth, at a level of knowing someone. It's not just a surface knowing. He wants to be like Christ. And one of the funny things is, is I remember from when I was just young, when I was a new believer, that's what everyone told me my goal as a Christian was. And you guys have probably heard it as well. Our goal as Christians is to be like Christ. I heard it over and over and over and over again. And one of the things that I continually thought of are the good things, the good things of being like Christ, like such as walking on water. I would love to walk on water. I would love to go out on Chatfield Lake and just take a stroll, say hi hi, hi some boaters. Um, I would love to be able to multiply food. I'm a hungry dude. I have a lot of things to eat. I don't like to cook. Multiply leftovers, that would be great. My wife would love me. Or, you know, um, feeding the hungry, helping the poor, loving your neighbor. We talk about all these good things about Christ and being like Christ. But have we ever thought about the not-so-good things that Christ experienced? when we actually say, hey, I want to be like Christ. Do you remember that Christ was persecuted, that he was spit on, that he was rejected, that he was tortured, that he suffered, that he was killed? Do you still want to be like Christ? Because we can't just take one piece and leave the other piece hanging around. And that was Paul's goal in this verse, is he's like, man, I want to know Christ. No matter what the cost, I want to know the good, and I want to know the bad. Because if you think about it, Paul experienced all kinds of suffering. He was in prison. He got tortured. He eventually died by getting his head cut off by Nero. I mean, that's a pretty gruesome death. And the crazy thing is, is that Paul would say that it's worth it. He would say that it's worth it to know Christ. In Philippians 1.21, Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he lived that out. And even when we talk about all these different things, there are still other things that we could talk about when it comes to hope. One of the things that I feel like several of us are afraid of is putting all of our eggs in one basket. I'm sure all of you guys have heard that saying, putting all your eggs in one basket. I feel like some of us are afraid of putting all of our hope 
in Christ because we think he might betray us. You know, when we think about our life experiences, when we think about our past, we think of times we've either been lied to or we've been betrayed or we've seen bad things happen. Or I'm sure many of you know of some man and some woman who got married and they had this covenant vow, they had this covenant promise between one another and that promise got broken and ended in a divorce. And what's crazy is we take all these things that we experience in person and we project them onto the very God that we follow. So when we see lies happen, when we experience all these terrible things in our life, sometimes our natural instinct is to project that onto the very God we serve, which then causes us to not put our full hope in in Christ. It's kind of crazy if you think about it. But I know several people here feel like that. But the one thing is, is that Christ will never let us down. We can put all of our hope in Christ without fear that he's going to betray us, without fear that he's going to just shove us out, fear that he's just going to leave us hanging. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. That's what Paul talks about. That Christ is the living hope that is provided to us because of his resurrection on the cross. That we no longer have to fear about putting our hope in one single person because that fear, that thing is not going to go away. It's living. It's not going to die. It's not going to be annihilated in an instant. It is going to be there. When we realize this, it's easy to see how Paul could say that he considers everything a loss because of knowing Christ. So the question is, what are you putting your hope in? What are you putting your hope in? What is more important to you than knowing who Christ is? What gets in your way? What is, if you're doing a number scale and you're listing things that are a priority in your life, where does God fall in that priority list? What have you been putting your hope in temporarily? Maybe you're thinking that God might abandon you. Maybe you just don't want to trust God because you've been lied to over and over and over and you think God's going to do the very same thing to you. You know, the song that we're going to be listening to that the band's going to be playing is one of my favorite songs. And it's an extremely powerful one, and I hope it is for you. But I want you to listen to it. I want you to reflect on it. I want you to think about how this applies to your life. Where in your life are you barren because of false hope? Where in your, where in your life are you, are you barren because of things that you're putting your hope in? They're just being taken away over and over and over again. You know, the bridge of the song that they're about to sing goes like this. And just really focus on that when, when the band comes up and plays. It says, there goes all my doubts. There goes all my pain. On that day you rose again, sin no longer stains. There goes all my questioning, there goes all my fears. On that day of reckoning, hope 
has reappeared. And, and that's my prayer for you guys today, that if you are just living in this world of temporary hope, that I hope that true hope reappears in your life. That you get rejuvenated some way, somehow. Because this is what it looks like to have your hope in Christ. All your doubts are gone. All your fears are gone. All the pain that you experience is worth it. All because of the resurrection of Christ. This is what true hope really looks like. So as they play the song, I really encourage you, you can sit, you can stand, you can do whatever you want, but really take this time to just reflect on the words of the song and how they mean in your life. Think about what, what you are putting your hope in in an, in an individual or as a couple. Are you putting your hope in temporary things or are you putting your hope in Christ? Because the only time that we can consider everything a loss in this life is when we are truly putting our hope in Christ. So um, I'll pray real quick, and then they'll play. Uh, dear God, I just thank you for today. I thank you for uh, Scripture. I thank you for Paul, your servant, and just what he wrote and how it applies to our life. I just pray that you be with everyone here who might be struggling with this passage as much as I am. I ask that you just clarify and give us a sermon about what it looks like to consider everything that we have done in this life a loss because of knowing you. And if people are temporarily putting their hope in things, I pray that you just open their eyes to the true hope that they can have in knowing you as their Lord. Be with them during this time. Name and pray, man. Josh said you can sing along, you can sit and listen and just reflect. And this, the words of these songs uh, wash over you today. I speak to barrenness. I come and life within. I come live you desolate. Spring up you living well. I speak to barrenness. Come and life within, come live you desolate, fleeing wide you ancient gates. Healing power flow like a river, reveal your mending heart to every tormented soul, and then you welcome quick. To deliver, so let hope open up your walls. The hope conquers all. I speak to barrenness. Within, come live you desolate, spring up you living well. I speak to barrenness, I come alive within, come live you desolate, flee wide you ancient gates. 
Let her open, open up your 